Michelle. I'm so happy we're having this conversation. How are you doing? Hey, Karis. I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, you were telling me that, uh, you know, you've been doing some work on psychiatric advanced directives. And I don't know if a lot of people know what those are. Do you want to you want to say a little bit about what a psychiatric advanced directive is? Yes. So um, I'm really honored to be working um, with the state of California, the Oversight and uh, Accountability Committee on psychiatric advanced directives. And basically, it's a legal document that allows for choice and treatment, particularly during a crisis situation. As a woman with lived experience, unfortunately, but fortunately, um, uh, hospitalized a number of times and did not have a psychiatric advanced directive. So it's uh, really important for me, particularly as a woman of color who has lived experience, to be able to educate individuals about this rights document and to also be a part of a state project that's pushing to strengthen the state statute to be able to enforce it. So, yeah, really excited. It's a social justice thing, getting people getting people activated and viral. It's going viral. Yeah, you be you, unapologetically <laughs> Black unicorn, you go ahead. So, right. um, um, you know, I just launched it. Wow, we talk about psychiatric advanced directives. So, <laughs> hello, right to the core. So, but why don't you, um, I mean, I know, uh, you know, some things about you, but how did you even get into doing this work? So now you're kind of doing this work at the state level to help other people, like how did this even start for you to, to get into kind of like mental health advocacy? I believe it started with my grandparents. My grandparents are community work, community advocates. I saw them organizing at the church, just being a community leader. So always service and care for others has always been in my heart. But particularly this, like how I ended up doing this advocacy work, I started off working in group homes with individuals that, you know, were struggling with mental health challenges. Then I saw I couldn't, you know, I was trying to fix the problem, didn't go, couldn't go there. So I'm like, I think I got to get some more education. So got more education, worked as a policy analyst with the city, a couple of doing some work like that. Still didn't think I could, you know, make that much of an impact. Start technical writing, you know, being able to write is really important in this advocacy world. So I got an opportunity to write for almost 10 years, developing state, federal and local health and human service programs. And that really laid like a foundation for me to really just and for all cultures. I was writing for API communities, Black communities, Latinx communities. So I think that that really allowed me to be a voice for individuals. And I felt like real honored. Like I was winning these grants for different cultures. And then it brought me to, you know, working with two other individuals to, you know, co-found a company that serves individuals with lived experience. And we can advocate. We're in technology. So I was able to, I think it was just a lot of being in, the right places, and then working hard, working real hard. Um, like I said, um, working in group homes is the grunt work, I believe, of this field. People that can do that, you can do anything. But you really get to see who the people are and see the challenges in the system. So I think that that's, that was really foundational of how I got here. So when you said um, group homes are the grunt work, you know, I've never worked in a group home. <laughs> so what does that look like? Like, how were you able to do that work and then, you know, move forward? Yeah, no one's even asked me that question before. So that's, <laughs> what did it look like? Okay, so I was 19. I was going to University of Laverne and I was at the park. I think, I, oh yeah, I think I was working for the city of Pomona. And then uh, I think the group home was there and they were you know, doing some recreational work. 
And so they were like, do you want a job overnight? And I'm like, okay, I can, you know, work overnight. But, you know, working in the group home was like literally being like a pseudo parent for the the folks. Like I was 19 though. Like, I think that's also how I got here. Like I was able to like work with Latinx individuals, especially like the females. They taught me how to make pico de gallo, like all this stuff. Like they were the ones that first encouraged me about like wearing my hair more natural. It was just like this, this beautiful, crazy, all different experience in one. Um, because I mean, I was there with them. Like when they had their, you know, when they were AWOL, I'm running down the streets. I'm calling the police, supporting them. I spent most of my college years working in that group home. And, and I saw like these kids, their mothers, their fathers had neglected them, left them. And they still had so much love for their family. That was when I was like, I want to start a group home. I want to do something more. That was where I saw like that the system had complex challenges. And for individuals of color, who don't have advocates, mothers, family, the system just pushes them through. And so I'm actually getting emotional thinking about it now. I haven't thought about that in a while, but it was really, really impactful. Yeah. It sounds really powerful. I mean, I think we all can read about group homes, usually not very good things about them, mm-hmm. but and also read about people who have made their way through um, being in group homes and credit sometimes, you know, when they've had good support within the group home to help them on their way forward. When you were talking about, too, the psychiatric advance directives, you said that you um, also have been um, hospitalized, fortunately and unfortunately. I understand the, I understand the tension there, definitely. So, you know, did that also kind of play into having an understanding of how to kind of meet people where they are and support people, or did that come later? Yeah, I think that it's really important. You use your experiences that you went through to be able to do something better. You know, I didn't want, like, I'm, I don't want those experiences to just be in vain. Like somebody else is going through this, you know what I'm saying? And another time I was in the hospital and they gave me the wrong medicine and I freaked out and I'm not, I don't take like psychotropic drugs. So, but I didn't have it in the document, right? No, there was no nothing. They, they, they just was trying to help me when I, get passionate about psychiatric advance directives because I'm like, hey, you know, I didn't know I was going to be doing this, what, 10 plus years, you know, later, but now that it, you know, it fell into my universe, I'm like, well, this is real because let me tell you about this. When I was in Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So being able to use that uh, experience to inform kind of some of the advocacy you're doing, you know, not from I read about it and I'm telling somebody else's story, but it's your story that could have been even a bit different had, you know, that psychiatric advance directive or other work been done. What, What do you think about like the other thing I know we talk about is sort of. Eh, racism and sexism and uh, all the isms, as we say, and and how they kind of intersect with some of the work that we're doing in, in ways sometimes it's like, well, we, we talked about invisibility, like kind of being mm-hmm. invisible, right? Yeah. So I know I've had that experience. Have you had that experience too? Yeah. I mean, particularly in professional settings, even when I was at the city of I won't say this, I won't say the name, but when I was at the city um, working as like a legislative coordinator, people would question like, oh, you have your degree? I'm like, yes, I have a degree um, and I'm I'm here. And, or like, you know, as an executive, you know, co-founding a company, sometimes people will go to other, my other colleagues that don't look like me. And even though I'm almost certain they know I know the answer, 
but yeah, and they've even said it and they usually redirect it as a form of like, we have that solidarity more now. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, we, I mean, we are typically invisible to a lot of people. And I don't know if it's racism. Like, I wouldn't say I can't speak for other people, but having those conversations with some people, the responses I've gotten was like, oh, I'm not racist. I just didn't, you know, I didn't even think to think of you like that. I'm like, well, that might be the problem. Like, why aren't you even thinking of me? Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> I exist. It's, it is, it is oh, kind of yeah. weird. It's like, well, how the heck could you not see me? How the heck yeah. could you <laughs> not? And I'm a big black person. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Pretty- I'm not... I'm not tiny. And now I got a big black person with purple hair and you're going to, you're going to say, you can't see me. Now, you know, you saw me and and you made a conscious decision to unsee me. Right. So um, when you are thinking about like your career trajectory, how have people helped you along the way? Because I think that's another thing for young people. It's kind of like, it's not like you have to recreate a wheel. There are mentors out there. There are people who, who are out there. Like, are there people that you saw as mentors or examples of how to do the work? Yeah, there's so many people. Um, I don't want to be cliche, but my mom, she was very instrumental, teaching me to be kind to others, to, to forgive others, to show up unapologetic and be presentable and articulate yourself in a way that's appropriate so people can understand you. So I think that that was really foundational, um, just in mentoring me to just show up in the spaces. Um, there are like at least four women that I call on at least once a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you need people to balance, like you said, bounce stuff off that this happened. Um, so I have mentors that watch me also that can help me if I'm, if I'm, you know, they help me, you know, when I speak, if I need to improve on things that I'm talking about. So yeah, definitely I got a, I, I hate to be cliche, but I got a squad. I got a squad that that's on uh, speed dial, particularly now as I elevate myself into my unicornism and go up. You be you, girl. <laughs> I got some people though that got my back. So yes, my mother, other people. Yeah. So I think it's so interesting that, you know, it's not cliche at all. I think this is one of the things as Black folks, when we are younger, I think we worry that if we reach out to other people, folks might see that as being weak or see, mm-hmm. see, yeah, we knew they couldn't do it as Black folk. Um, but we don't recognize that, you know, everybody who's saying that has their squad, you know, they have their <laughs> people who are helping them. We think somehow this person is magically doing it by themselves. So I, I uh, you know, really applaud you for, you know, speaking up about having that squad and having them on speed dial and using, using them, because I think that's going to be helpful for others who, are worried about doing that and, and uh, are worried that folks might see that as weakness. And quite frankly, it's a strength. I, th- I think it's a huge strength. And thank you for giving, you know, props to mom. Hi, mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard yeah. a lot about your mom. I hope to meet her one day. But when you're doing, um, peer, did you ever do peer services? Like, did you do direct peer services? Yes, I've done peer work, peer groups. I actually was in the MSW program and dropped out. Because I didn't want to be a clinician, so I'm here better. <laughs> I think I spent almost a year on that wow. project. But yes, so I did early on. Uh, I did do peer work, and I still do stuff now. I facilitate some groups, but you know, I think with with in this peer work, like you being 
somewhat vulnerable to tell your story as a way to empower individuals is the strength. That's, you know, I'm a subject matter expert. So I was able to, you know, put myself um, in the role where I could talk about some of my, you know, goals for the future. And I'm so nervous every time I do something to everything. I'm, this is part of my challenge. And uh, I think that's a really big thing mm. about the peer work, like modeling good, be, you know, good, like good practices that can help other individuals and self-care particularly is something I really like to talk about that works for me. And I like to hear about others. Mm -hmm. It's so funny about the nervousness thing. And I know there are different levels of anxiety, stress and and nerves when we're kind of entering into work, whether it's, um, you know, in group work or doing presentations or, you know, even doing what we're doing today, there's something human about being nervous. You know, if (laughs) if we weren't nervous, we'd be like a, you know, a bot or a robot or something. <laughs> so, so I think it's, it's number one, it's natural be, to be uh, nervous and then to kind of like move through it. It sounds like you really move through it. That's really, that's really cool. So what kind of self-care stuff do you do? I was surprised one day when you said, yeah, I got to go. I'm going to run my 10 miles. I, I don't know if you said 10 miles, but <laughs> run was the first thing. And I was like, oh, ah. so tell me about uh, your, your self-care routines. Yeah. So like so funny. So I literally just ran a couple of miles through um, the big easy a couple, like an hour or two ago. I, I went by myself to pray, run. I, I ran through the the Treme area and the Lafayette area and mm. the, the graveyards uh, and the culture. I'm Creole. So my family's from the Louisiana. We left he, uh, here and went to Oakland, but I have the family here. So I'll be visiting them tomorrow. But uh, I find so much joy exploring cities and areas and seeing people. I'm so, I, it's, I'm kind of weird. I like to, I'm a sociologist. So I like to see all kind of like, That like is not, people. see, now I know why we get on. Okay, so this is why <laughs> we get on. Okay, so we might be black, we might be women, we might be, you know, unapologetically black unicorns. Okay, those are all things, are, those are all truisms, right? But I also like to travel. I like to people watch. I like to be around. I don't have to know them people. I really okay. don't. <laughs> nice seeing you, doing a little head nodding, going in, chatting at people in the stores and kind of like making nicey nice and then going off and doing my own thing and sitting right. and watching. I just love that and kind of being in a different space than I'm normally in. So I love yeah. to do that same thing. And it's like, people are like, well, don't, don't you want to travel? Don't you want to travel, buddy? I'm like, no, actually I don't. Thank you very much. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like, no, because I want to do it on my own time in my own way. One time I had travel buddies. We went to uh, visit a friend in Arizona and uh, this was in, when I was in grad school and we went, to, uh, we were hiking. I don't know where we were hiking. We were hiking and there were just all these beautiful cactus. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to take picture after picture in different angles. They're like, Karis, hurry up. And I was like, this is where I want to be by myself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to do this on my own time. You know, they couldn't understand. <laughs> yes, that I wanted like to take different angles and I like to be close up and I like to be far That's away right. and you know and I want to look at it and, and I kind of want to figure it all they, they just couldn't they didn't have the patience for it and so um 
I'll never forget though when I uh, this is this is before digital film, so don't digital film. Listen, that's not even a term. This is before <laughs> digital cameras, so you had to ha- get the film, you had to have it developed, and yeah. you know, yes, we still do that. But um, I'll never forget when those pictures came out. Everybody said, "Oh, can you can you send me that? I I, I want to put that in a frame. I want to do this. I want to do that. Oh, can I have five of those? I want it like this one." That and I'm thinking. You're the person who was rushing me while we were out there. And this is the fruits of my stress labor right, to get the dang picture. And now you want copies of it. I said, oh, never again. So, um, yeah. so I'm giddy that you are, um, you know, doing your solo thing and doing your self-care. So I'm hoping to do that soon. I keep putting it off. You're, you're way better than I am. You, you no, I'm it. not. I'm not. I, I did last minute. I, that's what I'm saying. But I'm like you said about self-care and being, um, but just being aware and being intentional. Like I had to get radical with myself. Like I literally had to like say, Hey, you're going to stop and you're going to just take care of yourself. You're going to go where I've been coming to the city for almost over 20 years. So this is one of my safe places. Even It's so wild, but it's one of my safe places to go when I need to just clear my mind, you know, and it takes, I think, courage to do stuff alone. Right. Like, is everybody mm-hmm. like I was at the I met somebody just recently at a at the oyster bar. And she she said when I walked up, she's like, oh, she just thought that, oh, somebody was I was with somebody, you know, like, oh, she was with some. That's what she said in her head. And then when I was just standing in the line on my own, she's like, oh, hey, you're here. And then we we met up and we had so much in common. She has a Jeep. I have a Jeep. We hit it off and she was in the military before. And I used to work as a civil servant. So we talked about military and my family life. So um you know, but I think it took a lot of courage for me to say, like, I'm not going to do the buddy thing. And but I did read that. Like, I also like Pinterest. And pin, one of the things I read on Pinterest, it was like, be afraid of being alone is like a challenge. So go to the movie by yourself, you know, go walk, you know, go eat dinner by yourself. So I'm actually just doing I'm pushing myself. Um, and then I started to kind of, I don't get jealous, but I kind of started like getting a little annoyed that all my team members were going on vacations and doing stuff. I'm like, I'm still here working. So even though I'm, you know, I did a little work today and I get to talk to you as a friend, you know, I, I, this was good. You know, I needed this, this felt and it, I, nobody's, you know, hanker me down. The last time I was here, I had people telling me, oh, go this way, go this way, go here. And I'm like, I don't do well like that. You know, maybe it's part mm. of my job. I just. I don't do well. Well, it's so interesting. So what what you're doing is actually giving me a lot of encouragement because I keep thinking, okay, I need to plan this. I need mm-hmm. to get my hotel in order. I need and really it's like I can pick up and go. I can pick I, up and go, right? There might be a couple of things I have to take care of, but I can literally pick up and go tomorrow if I wanted to go why am I still sitting here? So now I'm feeling kind of like, okay, that's it. I am doing what I said I was going <laughs> to that is it. If, hair, if, 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 if Rochelle can do it, Karis can do it. Like what the heck, right? You know, it's like you be oh. you. Let's go do this thing. So you, you, you. you yes, <laughs> you've given me a lot of encouragement to do what I said I was going to do next week and not worry so much about. But I didn't plan it. I just oh. go do it. So when you're running, though, like, um, and I've already, I've tried this this running thing. Uh-huh. Um, no. no <laughs> It's running big. I don't have the best knees. Um, I've never had the best knees. Uh, well, 
when I was younger, I wanted to run hurdles. That was the thing I wanted to do because running hurdles in my mind was a very strategic activity that involved a bit of math. You had to figure out what was your stride, how many strides could you take, how tall was the hurdle, and how do you always land on left and, um, you know, get over the hurdle on right. So there was all this calculation going on, which for me, my mind is busy. It's kind of like, what do they say? You know, the idle hands of the devil's workshop. For me, you know, <laughs> idle brain is like the voice is heaven. Like, woo, let's kind of have fun up in there with her, right? All over. <laughs> so, so, um, so I, I did used to run hurdles, but my, my mother was like, oh, that is so not ladylike. So my mom wasn't into me um, actually doing that. You know, my mom is from a different age, so whatever. So, um, so I didn't really pursue it. But so tell me a little bit about the... Um, running and kind of how that helps you yeah i've been running since i was a kid um i went through very traumatic situation i think when i was very young like six so my mom was really in tune and put me in running i traveled most of my you know younger years um, across the united states and cross country and track and running um the junior olympics and i actually mm-hmm. got a part scholarship in college um but i had had some injuries. So I I think my last race was the Stanford Open. And then I was done after that. So I kind of got depressed. But I I think running allowed for me to one, travel to get out to explore. I think the competitive part was a little overwhelming because of the anxiety. But Mm -hmm. I think, but every now I think about it, every time I had a traumatic situation, I went, I ran. Like I, like I always just got my shoes and just went and run. And I had knee issues. I had, for some reason, I had, I had to go to a clinic for years with my knee and my knees. So I'm actually run on the asphalt to try to preserve them. Um, the semen's really bad, but running is my lifeblood. Um, I did it this morning and I saw it was just, it put something into me. It ejected some form of life into me and I needed it. Uh, so it has been one of the, the biggest things to help me when I'm stressed out and I need to do it. Oh, one of the things that I wanted to also talk about sort of is, I guess sometimes when we're doing this work, it's tough for people to, you know, straight up address racism. When we want to talk about black and brown folks, people maybe want to couch it in something broader. What kind of work have you been doing to really raise awareness and focus on or center on the mental health and emotional well-being of Black folks, Black communities? Yeah, a number of things. I mean, I think it starts in my own backyard, like as an employer and then as an advocate. So I'm doing multiple things. First, as an employer, we've been working with a couple of academic individuals and advocates to um, really implement anti-racist and liberation practices, like uh, training our staff on what it is to be anti-racist um, and what does that look like in the workplace? What does that look like in hiring? What does that look like in our conversations, our cultures? Like, what does that look like when we're talking, when we facilitate meetings? Cause you know, if people of color typically are not heard and not called on, like you implementing practices that just even being intentional and aware. So we are, we're doing that as an organization. I'm leading that. And in the space with mental health in the black community, I'm also one of the the backbone organizations, the Black Mental Health Task Force, which is a coalition of organizations that are advocating for improved access, for 
individuals, particularly in the African-American community, to have improved community-defined mental health services. So that's been really a, a really big thing for me in the last year and pushing on the advocacy uh, piece and then implementing education, you know, events and initiatives to educate our community on the resources and then advocating for quality care and community-defined practices. Right now, mostly at the local and, and state level, um, doing that kind of work. Even our own people, when we talk about, you know, some people don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about racism. They don't want to, you know, I get that all the time. So I, I think that it's more so doing the work, you know, talking some, yeah, and then pushing and pushing forward. I think that that's, that's really the thing I like to really talk about as a leader. When people put me on the spot and ask me, I'm like, okay, Let's talk about what we're doing, you know, yeah. for this work. So very action oriented. And the Black Mental Health Task Force, you know, that, from my understanding, sort of rose up out of needing to have something that was outside of the system that was, you know, Black run, Black initiated. Is, is that sort of how it kind of came into being? Yeah. One of the founders was on a a commission or a board in a system, in a local system, a mental health system. And they found that um, although they were, they just needed to put more action. Like, you know, when you're in the system, right, it's like protocol, procedures, blah, blah, blah. And then where's the actual work? So that was how it was founded. And then when I found them, you know, I'm about work and I'm in mental health. So I was able to leverage our resources and really target the Black community. Um, so number, I, I'm just really pleased to see that, um, you know, Sometimes it does take, well, it takes a village, but sometimes it takes the village not having <laughs> the interaction of, as you say, the local structures and systems that have so much bureaucracy mm-hmm. to get things done and to work for it. And, and it's also supported uh, that you have the, um, you know, funding support in order to do to do this for the community. That's that's amazing. The thing is that we're doing with the Black Mental Health Task Force is leveraging our organizations, our Black-led organizations and the resources that we had have to be able to serve, maximize the service quality and provision over for our community. So that's really also that gets me excited because the other resources, maybe I'm resource heavy in one thing, but the other person knows a thousand people. Okay, well, let's, I mean, I can give the food. I can bring the food. I'll bring the crisis counselors. You bring this, you bring these people here. So I think that that's, that's a model that we should like more pick back up if I can encourage other Mm -hmm. providers as well to coalition build you know what I'm saying? Like, this is like operating and operate in abundance. So I just want to, um, first of all, thank you for spending some time with me today, especially when you're on your adventure <laughs> that I uh, am uh, just so happy you're on doing your self-care thing. I just applaud you. I'm so glad that we know each other and that we've had this time to to chat. I, I hope it was helpful for other people. And um, with that, I'm going to thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you. you. And um, remind people to join us next week on Unapologetically Black Unicorns.